Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Really excited to have on John Allgood uh, with Temple University. He's got numerous uh, roles within um, the university, and, and I'll let him explain as, as they've got some lengthy titles. But I'm excited to talk to John today about his career path, uh, growing up in Oklahoma, and then now making the shift to the East Coast, and also kind of what he learned from teaching and being in the industry at the same time. Now, I will say we, we also are going to hit on uh, what sports teams should be currently doing right now during this during this time uh, of fluctuation and uncertainty. And then we will also kind of talk on how education is going to be affected and what people in the industry can know about uh, what's to come. So, John, without further ado, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Jake, I'm humbled to be here and and glad to contribute. So give us a quick rundown on your roles and then how you got to where you are. So I I have two roles. So I'm an assistant professor at Temple University in Philadelphia at the School of Sports, Hospitality, and Tourism Management. And so I teach uh, upperclassmen, juniors and seniors, and graduate level uh, on the ground, which means actually in Temple at Philly. And then I'm also the academic director of the executive master's program uh, of sports business. And so that are, those are people that have been in the industry or trying to go into the industry of sport. Uh, and uh, we try to equip them with tools. We try to equip them with new learnings uh, so they can understand how they can advance their career. Uh, usually, typically, our students, we're going into our fourth, fourth cohort in the fall, and typically, they have about 12 years experience, so they're a little bit older, a little bit more mature. Um, but uh, again, it's about, and, and we have students from ESPN, from baseball, from MLB, uh, from NCAA, from the NFL, the you know, all, basically across the board that are trying to improve themselves. And uh, so, two roles: one is I manage the academic uh, executive master's program, and then I'm also a professor on the ground as well. So. You know, one one would ask like, well, what does it take to get to where you are? And you've got kind of this you know long winding road of running running events, running a, a baseball team. I mean, take us through just you know a quick snippet of of what you've done to get to where you are now. Okay, so I started off uh, back in the mid '90s. I graduated from the University of Oklahoma with a master's in sport management. And um, got my first job out of the gate was working for an amusement park and a water park. And that's where I learned how to, I was a marketing director. And, and what I did was I learned how to drive people or retail, right? How to get people to buy tickets with the promotions and all that. So I learned on the ground how to make that happen. I was only there for about six months and I applied for a job in AAA baseball in Oklahoma City. We were affiliated with the Rangers and I was a marketing coordinator uh, and PR director at that time. Uh, and was very fortunate that Oklahoma City had passed a um, referendum to build a new ballpark in downtown Oklahoma City called the Bricktown Ballpark. And it was, it was part of a, a, an entire package for Oklahoma City economic development that created an arena that the Oklahoma City Energy now play in. I'm sorry, the Oklahoma City Thunder now play in. And um, so I got to open up a new ballpark as a PR and marketing director and then stayed with the company for quite a while. And... Gaylord Entertainment owned it at that time and, um, you know, left for a brief moment for about a year to try some other things and then came back and in 2004 
And in 2005, I was named general manager of the AAA team. At that time, we were known as the Oklahoma City Redhawks uh, and um, ran the team and, and the ballpark and uh, really enjoyed it. I started teaching as an adjunct professor at the University of Oklahoma in the business school, uh, an intro to sport management um, you know, class, and really enjoyed teaching. And then I just kept developing. And then our ownership at that time in 2010 decided to sell the baseball team. And so I transitioned to the same ownership group, created another company called Prodigal, and we ran an American Hockey League team. And then we started doing uh, PBR, professional bull riding, and started doing rodeos. And then in 2012, our owner came to me and said, look, I really want to get into professional soccer. Would you please, you know, figure out a way to get us um, a Division II team with the intent of giving, maybe possibly given, getting an MLS team in Oklahoma City? So uh, we ended up uh, negotiating a franchise agreement with USL, which is Division II now. And we affiliated with Sporting Kansas City of MLS for a few years. And in 2015, you know, I'd been teaching for now, I guess that would be 12 years, 13 years during that time. And, uh, you know, I thought, man, I, I need to think about what do I want to do next? So I hired a career coach, a guy named Dwayne Cummings, and uh, we kind of pushed through what do I want to do next? And I thought, you know, I really want to be a full-time professor. I want to give back. I want to mentor students. I want to understand, you know, what it's like to actually educate students on how they can go impact the sports industry as we move forward. And um, so I, I committed to it. And... Um, you know, Temple is a great program. Had a, they offered, you know, this position up on, you know, Chronicle of Higher Education and applied for it, and it was a great fit, and I accepted the position and have been here for the last three years. Started in 2017 here and actually just signed another three-year extension, so I'll be here for a while. So one would probably ask, you, you went through quite a few different sports, uh, including bull riding. We have not had anyone on the podcast so far that huh. has been in PBR. Um, you know, when you look at the events side of things, right, from a from a baseball game to a soccer game to a um, an event with with a rodeo to, you know, a, hot, a minor league hockey game. What are the similarities and what are the biggest differences in what you learned from each setting? That's a great question, Jake. And, and one thing I'll add to that, too, is we also produce concerts. Uh, so we did an outdoor concert, outdoor country concert, and then probably the biggest concert that I produced was the Dave Matthews concert. We also did Dave Matthews Band. We also did Duff Leppard and Brian Adams. Um, we did Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson. So all of them are about consumption. So it's about what are the fans, what do they want, how are they going to consume the product, you know, what are their passions, and how do you deliver that to them. So the difference between PBR, professional bull riding, and baseball is base, families go to games for baseball mostly just to, to socialize. So that's your motivation to go. PBR, it's about fireworks. It's about what we call wrecks, which is when a bull actually ends up goring, you know, a bull rider when they get thrown off. Um, rodeo is about the skill of the cowboys and, or the barrel racers um, that are, you know, competing. Um, minor league hockey is about the upcoming talent. So each, each individual sport or entertainment event has their attraction to the fan base. You have to figure out what's that attraction and then focus on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think it's a good segue too of kind of the, the situation we find ourselves in now with, with such uncertainty of, of uh, COVID-19, but also what sports going to look like after all of this, right? We're going to get, we're going to get through it at some point. Um, and then fans are going to start to attend events at some point again. 
And it's, you know, are they going to consume it differently? Are they going to, you know, go for a different reason? Um, what, what are some of your thoughts as you, you know, have colleagues in the industry talking around, you know, doing your research, et cetera? Well, for me, it's about um, how you consume sports. So it used to be over the last, let's say, 30 years that most people thought of consuming sport was attending a game. So it was First of all is season tickets. How do we sell season tickets? Or if you're a one-off event, how do I get you to buy the, the highest price ticket? And then it was, okay, from a sponsorship standpoint, how am I going to go pitch the sponsors? Okay, how many eyeballs are actually seeing your sign on an outfield wall or, you know, on the dashboard or on a um, – in, in rodeo it would be, you know, <clears throat> how am I seeing – how am I interacting with your stagnant sign? Now, with everything that's going on, it's, okay, how am I going to get fans to consumer sport beyond buying tickets, which means the sponsorship model is going to change. So Adam Silver said this the other day, the NBA commissioner. He said, NBA fans consume 99% of our product outside of attending a game, and I completely agree with them. It's how are sports teams, the leadership, going to have a strategy that's going to you know, market – create, be innovative in consuming our product 365 days a year. Not necessarily about attending games, being there physically, but how are I going to get you to, on certain platforms, beyond social media, I mean, social media is part of that, but whether it's streaming through Twitch, whether it's whatever product that comes out, how am I going to get you to, to consume our product? And then we'll build a sponsorship you know, model after that and become a value, create a valuation of, how people are going to spend money. Sponsors are going to spend money to reach those folks that are now engaging. So I want to, I want to use that word again. So it's about consumption and engagement. So how do you get fans to consume and how do you get them to engage consistently all the time? That's where the value comes. So from an engagement perspective, one would maybe argue if there's less fans, there's the ones that aren't showing up, they're watching on TV or they're streaming or, they're following on social, whatever it might be. Do you see uh, the way in which, you know, not only fans consume, but as the generations um, change, just the way that people are consuming um, not only sports, but entertainment, you talked about concerts, uh, et cetera, that, you know, at one point or another, it's going to shift how, you know, you sell tickets or you sell sponsorships, right. Based on, how people are showing up, when they're showing up, et cetera. Yeah. So Jake, so I actually taught this um, yesterday at Temple University in our, in our program, sport management program, is I taught that I, the shift from a ticket standpoint is going to shift from season tickets to walk-up tickets. And the reason why it's going to shift to walk-up tickets is because people are going to be reluctant to commit to the money and the time of a season ticket, knowing that the pandemic may come back or they're unsure whether or not they want to be around, you know, 80,000 people. So I think walk-up tickets, especially for long seasons, the National Hockey League, the NBA, Major League Baseball, I'm not sure it's going to affect the NFL as much. But those other seasons that have long seasons, I think walk-up is going to be huge. So it's going to be how do sports teams react to the consumer behavior of fans when they're going to wait to the last minute to buy tickets. And, and another interesting thing, not to get too complex here, is, and again, I teach this in my classes at Temple is what's going to happen to the secondary market? Because the secondary market is mostly propped up by 
people buying season tickets or the secondary market buying season tickets and putting it on their platforms. So if people aren't buying season tickets and secondary markets don't see a value in buying season tickets, what happens to the secondary markets that have been providing tickets to all sports franchises, you know, of the last, let's just say five to 10 years. So I think sports franchises really need to pay attention to how are they going to service the consumer behavior of walk up and how they're going to do that from the other side of it is from a consumer behavior and consumption standpoint is I may choose to watch a game at my house. I may choose to watch it somewhere else on my, on a, on a, you know, my phone. And it's going to be how are the broadcast going to change to be more engaging like we talked about before. So I think my personal belief is, is that the typical broadcast that we see on TV is going to go away and we're going to see the quote unquote play by play or the, or the color person end up being more engaging with fans that are consuming it. Most like a Twitch when we're talking about video games. No, it's interesting you bring that up. Right. And then, and, on the ticket side, right, if you if you went to a walk-up model, sure, that's a great option for fans, right? And the fans are happy. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it on the business side from an organization perspective, that's more uncertainty than you would ever want, right? And, and all of a yep. sudden you're going, okay, we're going to have 80,000? We're going to have 120,000? Or are we going to have 20,000 fans? And you don't know. I mean, obviously there's a preparation from a security perspective, an ops perspective, a concessions perspective. I mean, there's there's a lot parking. The list goes on and on of the things that you've got to prepare for. And when you're sitting in that meeting a week, you know, five days, three days before a game going over, okay, this is how many projected you know tickets we've sold, et cetera, et cetera. And you're thinking, okay, this is how much staff we're going to need and so on. How does that then change the mindset? Not saying that we, you know, things are going to go to walk up, but if you're suggesting what you're suggesting, you know, then the organizations have to, to shift their minds as to something they've never done before. Of course they do. And, and that, that's, the, that's the paradigm change that's going to happen is that you, you have to go from, okay, we, we've sold, let's just take Major League Baseball. We sold 25,000 season tickets. We have a 45,000 seat stadium. We know that we've got another 10,000 group sales and then walk-up is going to be this. So we're going to staff operations this way. That's going to go away. All of that's going to go away. That planning is going to go away because I don't think people are going to consume sport. So then I think sports organizations think about, okay, what's the max amount of people we're going to allow in here? So we're going to staff for this amount of people, whatever that is. So if our capacity is 45,000, we may only staff for, let's just say, 25 in the beginning. And then once we hit 25,000, we're going to stop selling tickets right then. And then we're going to kind of lean into it until we figure this out because we're going into – you know, unprecedented territory right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, we mentioned earlier in, in the episode about, you know, going from um, one sport to another, right? Like the differences between the sports and you, know, you look at football, 80,000, 100,000 people in, a, in right. a stadium versus basketballs, you know, maybe 15, 17, 18,000. You know, soccer's a little bit less. So do the, do the sports differ, right, from an organization perspective? You're only having, you know, what's called NFL, right? you got you got one game on a Sunday. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe every other week. Baseball, you've got 162 games. We know that that's not going to be necessarily the case this year. But in the future, you know, that's a lot more games, a lot more uncertainty. 
you know, what explain a little bit kind of what we were just talking about from an engagement perspective and how it relates to the different sports. Well, I think, okay, so if you take the NFL, you have eight home games, right, plus exhibition games. You have to think about, okay, are we going to sell out all those games? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on what the confidence factor is on safety for fans, but from the fan standpoint and also from the organization standpoint, from the NFL standpoint. When you go to the NBA, you know, you have a certain amount of home games. It's more than in the NFL. You know, same thing with the NHL, same thing with Major League Baseball, then you're going to 81 home games. So it, I think we're, what I would recommend to sports teams, you have to pull back from the attendance factor, even though that's important. That is the attendance factor is the most uncertain, right? And so we have to figure out as sports executives, how are we going to get fans to engage in our product beyond attending games? So what does that mean? Well, that means, you know, what platforms are we going to create are, are, and I'm gonna, I, I brought this up at Temple University, you know, talking about this is our college coaches now going to get a little bit more freer with access to their practices once they are able to practice again, because a lot of power five college football teams, coaches do not allow media to have access to their practices anymore. They don't, it's not the XFL, right? You don't get to go in and listen to the referees talk. You don't get a chance to listen to the coaches talk. So I think, you know, college football has to figure out if we're not going to allow 80,000 people to go to games, how are we going to allow fans to engage with our program by having access to a pregame speech from, you know, the University of Texas or Ohio State? How are we going to allow, you know, access to huddles with the players talking to each other? In the NHL, how are we going to allow people to talk on the bench? Are we going to hear, you know, the smack talking between the two benches? What are we going to do to kind of free up the engagement? Because the most uncertain thing that we have is, are people going to come back to games if they're allowed to? And how safe it's going to be in the short term? In the long term, it'll work itself out. But in the short term, how are we going to engage fans innovatively and creatively? Well, and so, you know, you mentioned you were talking about that in some of your classes. And for those who are in the industry who, you know, are, are long gone after college or grad school or whatever it might be, and they're thinking, wow, I wonder how this is affecting education. Um, classes, you know, campuses have closed, classes have gone online. That's been a shift in itself, you know, from, a, from an in-person learning to an online learning. Now, granted, it's not like online learning has never existed before, right? But for... Right some of the campuses that have only been on campus and then shifting to online. It's, it's a different, it's a different experience. So from a content perspective too, you know, it's not necessarily just hey, ticket sales is the bread and butter and, and X, Y, and Z. It's now like things are changing, right? We're having, having to adapt from a um, theory perspective and, and knowing that, that the future is uncertain. How are, how are you in the classroom and your program and, and those around you uh, adapting to how you're teaching kids and then how are kids um, and students learning differently in this in this space right now? That's a great question, Jake. So, you know, I, I, I've taught, again, I've taught since 2003 in person and I've taught online for three years and now we're forced to t- uh, teach online, you know, 100%. And the difference has been the, the human connection. It's, you know, me being in a room where I can connect with the students and get my you know, lesson across for them. On the flip side of that, though, is this may be how we're going to conduct business going forward. You know, maybe the brick and mortar 
element of sports from a front office standpoint, maybe that changes to where it's not necessarily that we have to meet in our offices all the time. And I had an executive today that I talked to um, in the WNBA in the G League, and he was telling me that I'm going after the best talent in the country now. It doesn't matter. I'm not asking you to move to where our teams are. I'm going to go after the best talent that I can find because we can work with you remotely now. And I think that's really poignant because, and, and I talked to you know my students about it the last week, is that this is a new opportunity for you from a student standpoint because the environment is going to change drastically. And as professors in education, if, if we are able to train you to be innovative, and I know this is very, you know, open and, and kind of not like pinpoint to like, this is exactly what you need to do. But it's like, if you can be creative and innovative on how you can engage with fans, start thinking about how are you going to do this? And as professors in the sports, you know, uh, business standpoint, you know, in colleges as professors, if we can just share with them, look, think creatively, think outside the box, start. And I hate that phrase, by the way, think outside the box, but it's like, if we can think creatively, okay, how are people going to consume? How are they going to engage and equip the students with that type of knowledge? Then sports teams are going to end up hiring them once, once this kind of breaks and we start having engagement again. And then once the students actually get into an organization, they can move up quickly if they have those tools to think, okay, how do we engage the fans? I know that's the running thing, but it really is engagement beyond being in the stadium or the arena. Well, and, and engagement seems to be a theme, right? But from a, you mentioned it earlier, the employee factor, right, of working remotely. And mm -hmm. you see that there's some organizations, you know, people stay a really long time. You've got all the, all the league offices for the most part in New York City. Well, what happens if you didn't want to live in New York City? Um, you know, the, the, those types of things where, of course, there's going to be remote employees. But do you see that expanding at all as we, um, continue to work through 2020 and into the future as, you know, the, the Microsoft Teams and the Zoom and the video conferencing and the working remotely might prove to be more um, productive or might might allow you to source some different talent as, uh, as your executive was alluding to earlier. No, I do. I, I think it will be. I think that's going to be the future. I think it's going to be, you're going to have, you know, if, if I'm a a C-suite executive and I'm in charge of marketing or I'm in charge of operations or whatever it happens to be is I'm looking for the best talent around the world and to hire them because of what's going to end up happening with the, you know, the landscape and sport. And you don't, I think what this has proven from an education standpoint, even though it would be better if we were, you know, in a room together, I don't think you have to do it hundred percent of the time. So I do think the landscape is going to change for um, how sports organizations are set up. Uh, I, I think we see that now with national companies is that you don't necessarily have to be where the headquarters are. You can be around the country. And I think we're going to be, so our, our students now are getting, you know, the undergraduates are getting, you know, the last four weeks, you know, they've learned how to, how to function online. And I think that's where the business operations or sports is going to go. Is it better to be, you know, in an office together? Maybe, I don't know. But I do think we can function effectively doing it online as well. And, and by the way, you know, a lot of sports organizations, they, some of them do function out of their stadiums. They have offices in their stadiums. But a lot of them have brick-and-mortar offices somewhere else that they rent. That might be an expense they don't have to pay for anymore if they can figure out how to do it all online. Yeah, no, that's a great point. But 
So let's also put yourself back in the GM shoes in Oklahoma City, right? I think this would be an interesting exercise. You you know, you've got a a season you're preparing for. Uh, Let's say you need some people in ticket sales, maybe someone in community outreach, um, someone in sponsorship, someone in operations, and you've got, you know, a 10-game homestand that you've got to prepare for. How do you see someone working remote? And again, maybe they're not completely across the country, right? But um you know maybe they're in dallas instead how does that work how does that work i I think we're just gonna i think technology is going to take us a little bit further and i think um phone calls are going to happen i think you know we have zoom but there's still phone there's still text there's still that um i just i just think okay i I have a 24 24 year old daughter and i have a 17 year old daughter and this is the next wave of of executives going into sports, right? So my 17-year-old's coming to Temple to play soccer in the fall, if we have soccer in the fall. And I can tell you that we communicate more on text and on Zoom than we do in person. Now, part of that is I'm in Philadelphia and she's in Oklahoma City, but even even when we were in Oklahoma City together, we would still just text, she would text me or she would, you know, <laughs> do a snap with me. And so it, there's this kind of generational uh, change that you don't necessarily have to be in person together. Now, me as an executive, being 51 years old, I would love to be in a room with everyone. I would love to be with my students in a room because I connect with them better, but that may not be the reality moving forward, Jake. It it may be that this is how we're gonna conduct business. So we have to adjust to it. You ask me what it's gonna be like, you know what? I'm gonna have to adjust. Executives are gonna have to adjust. I, I think the young executives coming out and graduating sport management degrees are gonna be prepared for it because of what they're going through right now. Yeah, so you, you mentioned that and it's these skill sets that they're building as well, right? So the generation, that younger generation is gonna have some different skill sets. What are, what are some that you know for a fact um, are either being built through the online piece, you know, the, the, the business, you know, dealing uh, with different technology, uh, that you know will translate uh, to the industry and just kind of your day-to-day uh, work differently than it has before? I think it's going to be how do I conduct myself professionally on a Zoom call or how do I do it on whatever platform that I'm communicating with a potential client or a customer or whoever it happens to be or, or a vendor. It's how do I conduct myself. So if, if I'm uh, at home in my workspace, right, as a student, I'm at home in my workspace in a, in a study that my parents, in my parents' house. I need to present myself professionally to the professor because this is the way I'm gonna be conducting business once I get a job in sports, most likely. And, and so there's this, uh, this kind of thing that I think is that if you are an indoor sport, you, you dress differently than, as an executive, you dress differently than if you're in an outdoor sport. So what I'm saying is like when we were in hockey, you wear suits if you're an executive, or at least you wear, you know, a suit without a tie if you're a man. Mm-hmm. In baseball, right, you're not necessarily wearing a suit at a game. You might be in a little bit more business casual. When you're at home, your natural, um, you know, thought is, okay, I'm at home, so I'm wearing shorts and a T-shirt, so I'm going to go do class this way. And so we, what we've tried to do at Temple is say, okay, we're not going to make you worse, you know, be professional when you're online, but we're going to encourage you to be online. I think because professionally you need to start developing those practices because you may be online and you need to present yourself professionally. So the, the skill is 
is how do I be professional working at home, which is going to be unusual for a lot of people, including executives that have, are in the C-suite, to the entry-level person because they're not used to working from home. Right. Well, and, you, and you know, you got to be lighthearted still, right? You know, for some organizations that have Gene Fridays or, or whatever it might be, right, there's still kind of that, that looseness to it. Um, but it's yeah. also, you know – understanding too that people have different um different backgrounds and experiences of dealing with technology too some people are a lot better at it than others right oh there's no doubt you know i i didn't know about um you know i knew about zoom because i've been on it for a couple years um but you know some of the technology advances that zoom has done just in the last year that i didn't know about that i had to get caught up on and i thought i was an expert in zoom because i'd i'd used it and Jake, what's going to happen over the next year in technology? You know, what's going to be created that we're, you know, we have to stay knowledgeable about it. And when I tell my students and I tell my colleagues in the industry that are still working, it's like, we have to stay, you have to read, you have to consume what's going on in the media about what's next, you know, what's going to happen next. You know, one of the biggest challenges, Jake, I think is going to happen is um, from a broadcast standpoint is, are all the all the major professional leagues going to be playing at the same time? Is college football going to be playing in the spring? Is college basketball going to be playing in the spring? You know, how are, how are our students that are graduating from Temple going to react to this? Or sport management students? You know, this is a whole, you know, again, it's a paradigm change. We're used to the NFL playing in the fall. What if they play in the spring? You know, how are we going to do that as executives? So we have to start thinking in those ways. Everything's turned upside down. Everything's up for discussion. No, you couldn't say that any better. Um, you know, as we wrap up the episode, I, I want to ask, you know, you taught, you taught as you were kind of going through your general manager stage and, and into uh, Prodigal and, and your experiences with, with bringing the soccer team to Oklahoma City and, and all that. What are some of the skill sets that you learned as a professor that helped you while you were in the industry? It was asking questions of the students what they thought. It was, it was being humble enough to say, you know what, I'm my generation, you're your generation, what do you think about this? And I still use that today. I still ask them, okay, here's the situation, what would you do? So I try to put them in the chair, I call it the chair, meaning what if you were the general manager? What if you were the VP of marketing? What if you were the VP of oper operations? What would you do? And I just listen and I try to understand what they think. And then, you know, I took that from uh, my students and I tried to apply it in the industry and I still do it today. No, that's great. Any uh, last kind of thoughts as we, as we, you know, look towards the future? I know we're going to have you on definitely in, in uh, a couple more episodes uh, here in the near future and, and starting some sort of uh, uh, partnership in terms of bringing on some, some executives within the industry and, and certainly excited to, to see kind of what unfolds. Yeah, I would say that um, my mantra is you never stop learning. It doesn't matter if you're 21, you know, 31, 51, you never stop learning. You should never stop learning. Uh, if you stop learning, then innovation and creativity dies. And so uh, I would tell my students, this, I have told my students this. I've told my colleagues that are professors this. I've told uh, my colleagues that are still working in the industry, keep learning because, um, if you want to be innovative and creative and impact the sports industry, that's what you need to do. Lifelong learners. Yes, sir. LLL. I just made that up. So. 
John. But John, John Allgood, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. And uh, certainly looking forward to the next.